I'll be honest with you, that's probably the last time we're going to mention Valentine's Day today. Other than the fact that after church today, uh, we have a, an awesome photo booth set up. Uh, Mike and Tracy Lampere set it up for us. And so, uh, really cool uh, chances you heard already to uh, take, some, take some time with your family, take a picture, use your smartphone. It's a little spot right there. Uh, if, you, if you do that, we'd love to see you do that. And then if you post it on uh, Instagram or Facebook or whatever else, you can just hashtag the church, Bridgeview AG, Bridgeview Church, whatever. Uh, we'd love to see some of those pictures of our beautiful smiling faces. And so get those, uh, those faces out. What a cool thing. But again, in the, spart- in, this, in, the, in the hearts today of Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about the end times. That was supposed to be funny there because, no, but no, I, I'm being serious though. We're, we're starting a brand new series this week called What in the World? And in this series, we're going to talk about what in the world is happening around us. There is no question, and some of you guys are like, what? Some of you ladies are like, what did I walk into? It's, you know it's a, it's a Hallmark holiday anyway. But, uh, but, but no, we're, we're, uh, we'll talk about love at, at some point. But man, a lot of people are talking about end times, aren't they? They're talking about what's going to happen, what's taking place. There's no secret in our world nowadays that there's a lot of stuff going on, isn't there? There's a lot of crazy things happening. It doesn't take a rocket science to notice that there's stuff going on and, and that it's important we talk about those things. And there's nothing new. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, we, used to, we watched the, uh, the video series that, uh, you know, again, Christians, we don't have horror movies. We have end times movies. And it's, you know, it scared me to death. It was called Thief in the Night. Who has seen that before, Thief in the Night? Yeah, lots of, of you guys have. And so I remember watching that when I was a teenager, and it scared me to death. You know, the, the tanks driving down the city streets and, the, you know, all the stuff. It was just, it's crazy. But I remember a time thinking when I was a child that how in the world could some of these things that the Bible says are going to happen actually happen? You know, how in the world could some one person, you know, get up and talk about, you know, and talk to the entire world at one time? But then came these little things, right? How could one person, how could there be one monetary system? How is that possible? There's so many different cultures and groups and people and money systems and whatever else. Well, then came these things, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, whatever else, and now it suddenly doesn't seem quite so unlikely, does it? We live in a world nowadays where this is a big deal. And really, even people who are outside of the church are talking about this. You know, you go to the grocery store and you walk through the lines and there's some, you know, Nostradamus uh, prediction, you know, that says, well, this is going to happen here and, and here. And what's funny is I've seen those forever, okay? They always say, well, this year it's going to happen because Nostradamus said it was going to happen. And guess what? We're still here, right? And, but but people, people are talking about it. Google, end of the world, 2016. Now, not right now on your phones, but you know, whatever. But you Google that. And you are going to find a huge list of things in there that people have read about or wrote about the end of the world happening in 2016. 
I actually clicked on a few of those just for fun, and I read some of those blogs and different things, and I'm telling you, people, some people have a very convincing argument using Scripture that the end of the world's happening in 2016. What's also interesting is that people have been Google end of the world 2000, end of the world 2005, end of the world 2010, 2011, 12, and so on and so forth. You'll find the same thing off into the future. Several years ago, a guy named Harold Camping, uh, was, you know, he actually owns radio stations throughout the nation. He made some predictions that the end of the world, that, that Christ would return on May 21st, 2011. Uh, he's got pretty bold, and he said he understood the scripture that no man knows the day or the, nor the hour, but that was, he said, misunderstood. And so he, he had a date, and he was so convincing that people sold homes, sold businesses, sold cars, sold everything to follow this guy, and they sold it all. They lived basically together in a big commune, and they would travel around the nation and talk about how that was going to happen. And there was actually like billboards put up, and there was people out on streets with you know, picket signs saying, get ready, the end of the world's coming on May 21st. 2011. It was, it was real. I, my wife and I were on a date one night in, in uh, Michigan, and we were in a restaurant, and we saw this truck go by, one of those uh, billboard trucks go by, with that on there. It said, you know, be, repent, get ready, it's coming, Christ is coming on May 21st, 2011. Well, guess what? Uh, I don't know if this about you, but we're still here, right? And so it didn't happen, right? Unless we're all in big trouble. No, no, it didn't happen. And so Harold, uh, you know, Harold being, uh, you know, being the, the guy that he was, he actually came back and he said, I was wrong. Thank you. He said, I miscalculated. And so really, the, the, the real date, it wasn't May 21st. I messed it up. It was October 21st, 2011. So he got the whole machine going again, and people, again, they, they changed it, and they went back in true story, and again, October 21st came and went, and we are still here, as we can probably pretty well see. And so, well, today, I believe the end of the world is, in fact, coming. I really do. I think, I think Christ is coming back. I think it's soon. I think something's going to happen at some point where it's going to happen. Now, here's the deal. Um, a lot of people have different views on, on how it's going to happen. I, I don't think it's going to be a, a floods of apocalyptic you know, proportions. I don't think it's going to be you know, a, a, a planet that's run away and destroys our planet. I don't think it's going to be you know, some death star or, or you know, it's going to be a, a, a sunstorm or whatever else. I'm with a small but very reputable group that believes that it's going to happen by giant mutant cats with laser beams coming from their eyes. And so as you can see right here, but uh, that's what's going to happen. No, I'm just kidding. It won't, the lazy beans won't be there. But no, uh, uh, no, seriously here, if I could you know, bring it back here today. Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour. And see, again, what the problem sometimes is, is that we in our world, and uh, wow, he's just up there, isn't he? You notice the Death Star is there too, you know. But uh, anyway, that picture I said, I got to use that somehow. Uh, but Jesus said that we, while no man knows the day or the hour, there will be signs that will prove and point to the end of the world. Will prove and point to the fact that Jesus is coming back again. Uh, listen today to Luke 21, uh, 29 through 30. He said, then he spoke 
a parable to them. Look at the fig tree. Look at all the trees. When they are already budding, you will know and see for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know the end of the kingdom of God is near, or as some says, is at hand. The reality is this morning is that while we don't know exactly, we don't know all, everything, we do have Jesus' words that tell us that signs are going to be coming that will show us that something is about to take place. Now, I don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't even have to be a, a, a theologian, really, to know something's happening, isn't it? Something's going on in our nation, in our world. And sometimes we get this kind of small view from the United States that this is where it's all at. But things are happening all over the planet. Things are happening all over the world. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. There is, you know, tragedies. There's things happening that point us to the fact that something is going to take place. Now, here's the deal. Again, a lot of people want to fill in the gaps and fill in the, all the details and such. The Bible doesn't really give. We're not going to do that. So we're going to talk for the next few weeks about what the Word says about what's coming. Because the Bible has a lot to say about this. It, it really does. Uh, we're going to today build a foundation. on the, Today, the, 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 the kind of apex of this whole thing is the return of Christ. We're going to talk about uh, judgment. We're going to talk about heaven and hell. We're going to talk about what that means for us. We're going to talk about uh, revelation. We're going to take a few snapshots of revelation and and look at that. Uh, We're going to talk about Israel. Just the fact that Israel is even in existence is an absolute incredible thing that many of us don't really fully understand the detail of Israel and what that means for us nowadays. We're going to talk about Israel one day. We're going to dive deep into some of these things. And so I'm excited about this. Lots of the Bible has lots to say about this type of a thing. Lots of the Bible talks about prophetic things happening. Uh, the reality is, is that uh, the Bible is a collection of books. You may not know this, but it's not one book. It's actually a collection of 66 books written over the course of thousands of years by many different people. The Bible is an absolute miracle because the Bible, written over this long period of time by a litany of voices, for it to have any sort of semblance of, of togetherness is an absolute miracle. I mean, Picture this. Picture one thing happening and picture five different people seeing it and how five different people seeing it would have five different ideas and how it went down, wouldn't they? You know, you could see one thing happen and there's five different ideas on that thing happening. And so the Bible being so cohesive is an absolute miracle. And the Bible has over 20% of the Bible is devoted to prophecy in some way. 20%, that's a lot of the scriptures. And much of that is devoted to Christ's coming. Either the first coming or the second coming. And we know if you're a skeptic today, or if your friends are skeptics, uh, there's one thing that is not very, not, that is not questioned, that Jesus Christ was born. The, the, the Old Testament, written many years before him, is amazing at the detail and the prophecy and the, and the, the, the thing by which it says it's going to happen. I mean, the Bible, the Old Testament says to be born in Bethlehem, born to a virgin. Just that one alone should shock people and say, man, there's something about this Bible 
you know, a picture. I tell you, hey, in 25 years, you know, there'll be a, a, a child born of a virgin. You, know, you would say, you're crazy, you've lost it. Well, that's what the Bible does. Years before it happens. Much of the Bible is devoted to prophecy. And, and really, over, over uh, uh, five times as many of the prophecies of, of Christ's coming have to do with his second coming rather than his first. Five times. That's a pretty significant amount, isn't it? It's a thing we have to focus in on and talk about. Uh, turn, if you would, today to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First uh, Thessalonians, that's a hard word to say, isn't it? Thessalonians chapter 4. As you turn there today, uh, this was written to Christians by Paul because they were afraid of something. These first century Thessalonian Christians were so excited and so consumed with Christ's return that they were fearful that those who had died before them, who had not been a part of the resurrection or whatever was coming, they were fearful that those people would miss out on the resurrection, that they would just be in the ground, they would be dead, and that was going to be the case. And so they were afraid for this to happen, and they might miss out on what is to come. And so Paul writes this under the influence and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to explain what was going to happen in the end times or in these days. And it says this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. It says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like, one of the, like, like the rest of men who have no hope. I'm going to pause there for a moment. Who grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. There have been times in my life when I've watched the news, which doesn't happen a lot, I'll be honest with you. But it happens sometimes where I'll watch the news and I think, how on the planet can you watch this stuff and not believe in Jesus? How can you watch this and not think that there's something happening? How can you watch this and not have Christ have the hope that he provides for us? See, that's what this is all about this morning. Hope is the reason that this is written in the scriptures. Hope is the reason that we have these truths and these things. It is because of hope. This is, as we call, the blessed hope. There could be nothing greater, there could be nothing better than Jesus Christ, him crucified, his life given as a ransom for ours, his blood poured out so that we could know forgiveness and peace with God. There could be no greater news. And he's coming again. He's coming again. That's hope. And see, we have to, as the church people, we have to realize we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be concerned and terrified and petrified. No, this is happening. Oh, this is happening. What's going to happen? No. We have hope. Paul says that right here. He says, you have hope. We believe, verse 14, that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we, are, we who are still alive, who will be left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, verse 17 says, we who are dead, still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with 
these words. We, church, have hope. We have hope. They had hope back then. They had hope 50 years ago, 100, 300, 500, 600 years ago. We have hope today. If Christ tarries, we'll have hope in 20 years, in 30 years, in 50 years, in 100 years. I can't see it. But if it happens in 300 years, the hope will not change. That we have hope that he is coming and coming again. Three reasons we have hope today based on the scripture. First of one, the first one is the return. Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. John 14, 3, Jesus himself says this. And if I go, I prepare a place for you. I will come back. Now you know it's coming, coming here, don't you? You know, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger moment, right? Absolutely. You know, how can I pass by this? I will be back. Jesus says that here. He says, I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. A lot of people nowadays don't believe that Christ will return or say, oh, he's already come. He came, you know, back in, in, the, in the New Testament. That's when he came. And so we don't have that. We don't have this hope. I'll tell you this morning, that's just not true. And we're going to get to that in a little bit, this, this, this series, but it's not true, okay? Now, there is some signs that point to Christ telling some of these prophecies in the New Testament, but not all of them. Jesus Christ is coming again. There could be no better news than that. Now, in our church, we greet each other. We greet each other with, you know, how you doing? Good to see you. You know, hey, hey how's, you know, how's life going? You know, uh, whatever we, you know, talk about, you know, it's, it's cold outside. You know, are you frozen? You're, you frozen your teeth off, you know, whatever. That's how we greet each other, isn't it? In the New Testament church, they had a word called Maranatha. And my grandma used to say this. My grandma would say it all the time, Maranatha. She'd write it on everything. She'd write it on her card. She'd write it on her door. She'd write it everywhere. So when I see this word, I think of my grandma royalty saying Maranatha. If you knew her, you, my mom's laughing because she, know, of course, know, knows my grandma. Uh, if you knew my grandma, you would have heard Maranatha. Now, in this church here in Thessalonians, they had a peculiar way of greeting one another. When they came to church, it wasn't, what's up, how you doing, those packers are terrible. It was Maranatha. It was, our Lord is coming. That's how they greeted one another. 2 Timothy 4.8 promises a crown for those who are, as it says, longing for his return. They're longing for his return. Church, this is a lost art in our church. It's a lost art in the church nowadays. They're longing for his return. Not just like, oh, it'd be great someday if it happens. That'd be cool. No, longing for his return. This church, this people, they understood the value and the importance and the, and, and the hugeness of longing for, the Christ, for Christ's return. Now, I'll be honest. There's been times in my life when I haven't longed for his return. One would be when I, before I got married. You know, we'll just leave it at that. You know what I'm talking about this morning. But, you, you know, uh, every teenager, Christian teenager, I should say, has prayed, God, just wait till I come, till I get married. Give me a few weeks and then come back as much as you want, you know. And, and I'll be honest, once I had my first little girl, Michaela, when she came along, I thought, oh, God, there's a thought in me, God, I, I want to I see her grow up. I, I want to see her get to be older and, and have babies and such. And, and, you know, I realize something about our lives sometimes. We've been pretty good in this country. Now, yeah, not always great, not always perfect, 
But this world and things happening in this world can blind our eyes to what God has called us to and promised us that we'd have if we just longed for his return. I think if I would long for his return more, it would change how I live. I think if you longed for his return, it would change how you live. If the church, the big C church, across the nation, across the world, would say, we long for the return of Christ. We can't wait. Not only is a crown promised to those that long, but also it would change how we do things. Maranatha, he's coming back. That's what it says here in verse 14. It says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus... Those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, what does fallen asleep mean? It's not the guy in the third row that fell asleep during my message. That's not what we're talking about this morning. Fall asleep right here is a poetic way of saying Christians who died. Because Christians are like Ford trucks. We actually never die, okay? We may get rusty. We, you know, we have some problems, but we never die, you know? And so that's kind of how we are. We don't die. This is a poetic, descriptive way of talking about those who are believers. You will die maybe once, but you don't die forever. Same word is used 14 times in the Greek language. It's interesting how it's used. Because it's used in, 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 in moments when it talks about Christians who die for a season or people who have been raised from the dead. Lazarus in John 11, this was what was used for Lazarus when it was described that Lazarus fell asleep. Well, he actually, of course, died. Jesus rose him from the grave, or rose him up, and, and, which is pretty cool in and of itself. It's a whole other thing. But, but that's how it described what happened to Lazarus. Now, other places in the Bible use a different word for, for death when that doesn't happen. That's fascinating, isn't it? It's, it's a scripture that says, we who are believers, when you come to Christ, you don't die. Check out Paul's encouragement here in verse 16. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command in the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Man, that's pretty awesome. Remember, God spoke and created the world. Remember, there's times when God speaks in a still, small voice, isn't it? He speaks in, as, as Psalm says, he speaks in the wind or whatever else. He, you know, that happens sometimes. But this is not the case here. I, I love this, how it says. It says, a trumpet sounds. Michael, the archangel, cries out. The Lord shouts. This time, a loud command. Why? Because the greatest victory the world's ever seen deserves a loud shout, doesn't it? The greatest victory the world's ever seen, victory over sin, death, and the grave, deserves a loud shout, a celebration. That's what it says will happen here. Not some whimpery, oh, this is going to be great. But amazing experience that God has come and has changed the world. God has come, as, as verse 16 says, the dead in Christ will rise or resurrect first. Now, dead in Christ, you know, that's, sometimes we get a little confused on what that means. Remember here, Paul is talking to the Thessalonian believers who are concerned for their loved ones who had died, who had not been resurrected yet. What's going to happen to them? So that's what he, he's, he's addressing that situation here. We've got to keep that in mind as he talks about this. He says, your loved ones who were dead, who were Christians and died, they'll rise first. Now, we get confused on this because in Scripture, there appears to be two resurrections of the dead, the first and the second. 
Both will be judged differently. We'll get into this a lot more next week, but a little, a little tidbit for you, a little extra stuff here to get, to get you to come next week. If it's cold, you need to be here. It'll, it'll be great. Uh, the first one is Christians who are raised from the dead. Christians will be judged at the Bema seat, and not, not Bama, you know, like the Alabama, but the Bema seat. And, and so what is the Bema seat? Man, get here next week. A uh, little nugget right there for you. But they'll be judged for good works and rewarded. The second one is non-Christians, those who died without Christ. They will be at the great white throne judgment, and this judgment is very different. Their works will be judged, but it will not be good enough because they have not had, they have not had Jesus Christ, the crucified one, the blood of Christ who cleanses them of their sins. They've not had that in their life, so the grace of God cannot atone for their sins because they've not accepted him in their life yet. It's a big deal. The Bible talks about the great white throne judgment. If you're a believer, you will not be there. But they will be punished eternally. They will be separated from God and destined for a real place called hell if their name is not found in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible talks about a book, and it says, and the books will be opened. And in that book is the name of those whose lives have been bought and paid for and whose lives have been given to Jesus Christ, whose blood has covered their sins. Church, there could be no greater news than that, that our lives are covered by Christ. Our lives are given to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, you've not given your life to Jesus, I implore you, I beg you, I would stand my head if I could, if I would convince you, give your heart to Jesus. Because a day is coming when it will be too late. A day is coming when it will be too late. That day is not here yet. We are still living in the age of grace, but as the scripture says, it will not be here forever. Give your heart to Christ. Not only is your life on earth much better, your life in the eternity is far better as well. We'll get to that here in, in a minute. And so we're talking today about the first resurrection. Revelation talks about it in this way. It says, Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. That's the good one. The first one, the Bema Seat one. And, and, and the second death has no power over them. Now, what that means here, we are, I, I, I heard this once, it was really great. Someone said, we are, as believers, we are, are you, can, you can either be born once and die, tw- die twice, or born twice and die once. You can be born, uh, you were all born once from our moms, we're all, of course, at works, that's physical, or you can be born of Christ, born in Him, giving your heart to Him, that's born twice and you'll die once. But if only one time, you'll die twice. That's what this is talking about here. The second death has no power over them. Again, we have a spiritual birth. The old is gone. The new has come. We are forgiven, transformed, set free in Jesus. And that is good news this morning, church. Someone give an amen this morning, if, if you would, because that is a reason to celebrate. So we have the return of Christ. And number two, if you're taking notes today, number, number two thing we have is the rapture. Living Christians are taken away. This is found in our, our text today, verse 17. It says, after that, we who are dead, who are still alive and are left, will be caught up together with them in the air, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. Now, caught up here is, there's, this is two words in our language that we commonly refer to as the rapture. 
You don't find the word rapture in the New Testament. You find the idea of rapture in the New Testament. That's where this comes from here. And it's, it's a Greek word. It means it's harpazo, which means to seize, to catch, or take away to safety in the blink of an eye. They had a word for that in, in the, the New Testament times. And so to illustrate this, I illustrate with a time in college where uh, I was wanting to share this today. Yeah, i got to share this today. I was in college once, and my buddy Tandon got married. And uh, Tandon was one of those guys, we just, it was just kind of fun to pick on him sometimes. Let's just be honest. And so Tandon got married, and uh, in, he had his, his, his groom's dinner, and uh, we had those nice dinner and such. And so we had that night, we had our, the, uh, the, the, the bachelor party. Now, I went to Bible college, okay? So bachelor party, Bible colleges are like root beer and, and, you know, and Doritos. And so don't get any crazy ideas about that. But uh, we thought, man... Tandon, we're going to show you a good time tonight. And so uh, we said, Tandon, we're going to go for a walk downtown. We're going to, you know, we lived in, at North Central in Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis. About four or five of us, we went for a walk down uh, the streets. It was pretty late at night. It was dark outside. And we're, we're going to take him out to, out to eat that, this night. And so we're, we're walking. He has no idea what's about to take place. And all of a sudden, a white church van speeds up next to us, slams in the brakes, the, the doors fly open. In the moment, we flew him into the van. All of us climbed in. We're gone in an instant and took him off to a wonderful night of all kinds of bowling and all kinds of other fun stuff. But that is, that's, that's rapture. Gone, taken away in an instant, in a moment, when you don't realize or see what's about to take place. The Bible's clear that at some point in, in the future... Those who are still alive will be harpazoed, will be Jason Bourne taken away. They'll be gone, the Bible says. Now, there's four beliefs when it comes to rapture. The first one is pre-trib, number two is mid-trib, three is post-trib, and four is pan-trib. And we'll get into tribulation too in, in, in a few weeks and such, but tribulation basically is a, a seven-year period of time when the world, be, where there's going to be terrible, first half is not so bad, second half is terrible. And so some people believe that the church will be gone, we, we'll be raptured, harpazoed, uh, before the tribulation happens. And so some believe in mid-trib that, you know, at the end of that first three and a half years when things are good, that's going to be taken away to heaven. Uh, some believe that we will be post-trib, that after it's all done, uh, that's when God will rescue us. So we'll go through the whole tribulation process. And the final group uh, is the, the pan-trib. Who knows? It'll pan, all pan out in the end. And so that's what some people believe about the tribulation as well. And, and so I believe in a pre-trib Rapture. I believe that Jesus is coming, will take us up with him before the tribulation takes place. That's what I believe. And the reason why I believe that is because the scripture pretty well describes how it's going to take place. Listen, if you would. Matthew 24 shows how it will all kind of take place. Verse 39b. It says, this is how it will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men in the field, one taken away, the other one left. Two women will be grinding at a hand mill, one taken, the other one left. In our context, you know, two people driving, one person will be taken away, one left. Hopefully the person driving is not the one taken, but you know, whatever, we'll, we'll be gone by that point. Uh, you know, maybe it'll be two people lying in bed, one taken, one left. Two, uh, a family sitting at dinner, half gone, half left. 
You, you know, that's the picture here of the rapture. It's, of course, no, nothing new for some of us today, but that's the picture he paints for us. Don't miss the application. This is important. Verse 44. So you also must, what? Must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Be ready. Be prepared. Be there. Be all in. Be, be Maranatha. He is coming again. He's coming back for us. It's good news. It's wonderful. And the point is to be ready. Because you can make a case for all four beliefs. You can make a case for pre, mid, post, pan, whatever else. Make a case for those things, you know what I'm saying? The point today is be ready. Because we don't know the day nor the hour when it will happen. But we know based on scripture, based on the signs, based on what's around us, that that day is coming. It's coming soon. Number three today, return, review, we have the return of Jesus the rapture of Christians. And the number three, we have the reunion. Christians will be with God forever. Verse 17, that's right, give him a praise this morning. That's going to be a good day. Verse 17 says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Man, let that word today, let that idea, let that thought sink in this morning. The thought, the idea, the understanding of forever. We'll be with the Lord forever. Wow, this is not working out the way I anticipated it was going to work out. We will be with the Lord forever. Now, picture today, if you would, um, this string right here. This string is a picture of our lives. And not just our lives, but the lives of everyone. Not just everyone, but the life that God has, has created from the beginning, which has a clear beginning. But the Bible says there is no end. The Bible tells us that we will be with him forever. Forever is another word for eternity. Eternity is a very, very, very long time. And I'm sorry here for making you nervous today, anybody. I want to try to do this right, but eternity is a long time. Imagine this morning, if you would, imagine this string represents eternity. Of course it doesn't because the Bible says that we will be, there's no ends. It continues forever, for on and on and on and on and on. Now picture this morning, if you would, uh, uh, this this string here as it represents our lives and who we are. Here over here is is our lives, our 70 or, or 100 years or whatever it might be. That's us right there. Pretty short time, isn't it? See, up until this point, there is literally thousands of years. Here is the creation of the world. Here's us. Our little years right here on earth, 70, 100 years, maybe if you're lucky. And then you have the rest of this time. And reality, we, this doesn't even describe eternity. Because if this was the case, it would go on and on and on and on and on forever. How often, how much do we invest, dream, Think, hope, have a heart for, sell everything for, for this little moment, this little speck, this little dot in time, when in the thought of things, eternity goes on forever. And that to us who believe in Christ, there could be no better news. There is no more heartache, no more brokenness, no more below 20 days Man, there is no more disease, no more sickness, no poverty, no wrongs against people. 
Things will be as they were supposed to be. When God created the world and sin was not there yet, it was not supposed to be like this. There was not supposed to be suffering and frustration and death and all these things. But sin has bought us that kind of life. Our lives are but a moment, but an instant in the course of history, the course of eternity. Now this this morning for you might excite you. It might make you happy. It might make you say, I cannot wait for that day. Or it might make you say, God, I have things I need to get right this morning in my life. Maranatha, comfort each other with these words. Our Lord is coming back. Our Lord is coming back as the band, or as Job, I'm sorry, comes this morning again to play for us today as we begin to think about closing out. Notice if I said think about it. No, I'm just kidding around. We think about closing out this morning. This morning, I want you to think about the string and think about our lives, what God has called us to, and think about what's about to take place in our country, in our nation, in our world. Things are different than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? If we are living in the end times, what do we do? Do we, do we dig bunkers? Do we, you know, stockpile weapons and, and, and nasty canned food like canned meats and all that stuff? Do we stockpile those things and stockpile weapons so that if you dare come on my property, you know, someday I'll blow your head off? Is that what we're supposed to do as believers? Really? Is that really what it is? See, the word here tells us, Paul says it very clearly, he says, it's coming. It's coming soon. Take heart. Be excited. He says right here, we have work to do. It says we should live in urgency with others to share this good news. I remember I was ministering in San Salvador, El Salvador, years back, and I was in, in potentially one of the, the worst places I've ever witnessed in my life. I can't tell you the abject poverty that I saw before me. I was in a part of the city that is just known for its disease and known for its poverty, and uh, it's a place where, you know, they have sewers, but the sewers are open pits in the streets, and when you go to the bathroom in your home or you do dishes or whatever else, the water pours out of your house in a little pipe in this open pit that is cleaned out by a guy every day, and there's, you know, you can imagine what's in there. Plus, it's like 120 degrees. That stuff is disgusting. It's hot. It's just, it is just the most abject poverty I've ever seen. And I was there ministering, and this lady, this older lady, was, was dying. And she was clearly dying. And she was in this bed. And this bed was, uh, it was, just, it was just awful. And she was sweating. And, and she, was, uh, she had just tons of clothes and shivering and, and such. It was just it was a terrible thing to see. I remember walking into her room, and, and the missionary said, Pastor, would you pray for this lady? Will you minister to her? And I remember thinking, how can I minister to this? I, I, what do I do? What do I say? So I walked up to her, and I just began to pray for her, and pray for healing and pray for, you know, whatever else. And she, after she prayed, she said, thank you, Pastor. And all of a sudden, her voice, her, 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 her face, her countenance changed. Because she, through an interpreter, began to tell me, she had said, Pastor, don't cry for me. Be concerned for me. I know where I'm going. 
I'm going to heaven. I'm going to see my Jesus very soon, and that excites me. She said, this world has nothing for me. Now, this is a, you know, and this is not exact. This is what I remember it being, but, but this is a gist. This world has nothing for me. There's nothing here. I can't wait to see my Lord in heaven. And her voice changed. Her smile changed. Her countenance changed. She knew Maranatha. She knew what that meant. And she told me, and she told others, I said, well, what do you want me to tell people? She said, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about his love. She said, I've lived my life. I've done my thing. I've done what I've I've been called to do. I get to go home. But you're not there yet. Tell them about Jesus. Listen today. The first Corinthians chapter 15. Because listen, Paul says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. How fast? Verse 32. In a blink of an eye, in a flash, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be, will be rise imperishable and will be changed. Verse 53. For the perishable must, must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then, skip down to verse 54b, then the saying that all is, is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And here's where it turns to application. It says, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, if you would this morning, stand up today across this place. Verse 58, it says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Say it with me today if you would. Therefore, what? Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. All your heads this morning, close your eyes all across this room. My first question today is a clear question. If you've not given your life to Jesus... If you've not given your heart to him, you've not said, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I'm a sinner. I am wrong. Lord, I've done things that I shouldn't have, but I'm sorry for that. If you've not done that yet, heads bowed, eyes closed, but you want to today, say, Pastor, raise your hands. That's me. I'm going to give my heart to him today. Well, I'm going to give a few more moments, and then we're going to close this part. Pastor, that's me. I want to give my heart to Jesus Will you pray for me? Will you ask, will you help me today? I want to do that. I want to give my heart to him. That church, there could be nothing more precious and wonderful and important. Jesus, give my heart to you all across this room. Five, four, three, two, one. Heads bowed, still eyes closed. I got a question for you this morning. If Jesus were to come back and you had insider information, let's say he came to you tonight in your bedroom, he said, he said you know, so-and-so, I want you to know that I am coming back next Tuesday. It's just going to happen. You, no one else knows but you. I got you some insider information. How would you live? Would it change how you live? Would it change how you do things? Would it change how you see the world around you? See, this scripture right here tells us it shouldn't change us. We should live like that every single day of our lives. It's with urgency and passion and purpose and reason because we know it's coming soon. And the labor that you labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
Because the reality is, whether it happens next Tuesday, or it happens Tuesday, November 6, 2095, whatever it might be, that our reaction is the same. The word does not change. We have been called to be excited. Maranatha for his return. Excited for him coming. We've been called to be excited for what he's doing. We've been called to that. We've also been called to live our lives and labor in the Lord because that labor is not in vain. Church, he is returning. He is coming soon. He's coming for a church that longs for his arrival. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be said about me. That, Lord, I long for your revival. I long for your arrival. That, Lord, I will give my all. Lord, I will pour it all out before you. Lord, I'll give you my life, my everything, my moments. Lord, my frustrations, my talents, my abilities, my everything. Because, Lord, our labor is not in vain. Jesus, this morning, as we close today, speak to us. Lord, challenge us today, Jesus. My call this morning for you is this. It's a clear call, heads bowed, eyes closed. Next few moments as Pastor Joe plays today, I want to ask you today, if you have been here and you have honestly said, Pastor, I have, I have been a, per- I'm a Christian, but I have not been longing for his soon and coming arrival. If that's you, I want to encourage you, either in your seat or come forward if you feel real daring today, and just take some time with him and say, God, change my perspective. Lord, help me to see things with an eternal perspective. That, Lord, I have this blessing. I have this truth. I have this hope that you are coming back again someday. That's the first call today. Call number two this morning is a somewhat different call, but similar. Today, if you're here, you say, Pastor, I have been somewhat longer, or not longer, whatever it might be, but today, Pastor, I feel that I need to give my life fully to the work of the Lord because I know that my labor is not in vain. You don't have to have all the answers today. You don't have to know all the things you need to do today. What he's calling you to today is to take a step of faith and say, God, begin the process in me. Lord, begin the process in my life. I will commit to seeking your face. I will commit to saying, God, speak to me, challenge me, minister to in me, show me what I have to do. Because I want to help people find and follow you, Jesus. We have this hope. Hallelujah. As we sing this morning, I want to encourage you to respond and come. Don't let this time pass you by without allowing God to speak to your life.